Yo, what's going on? It's John, and it's time for your Monday morning J-Mart cast for Monday, November 8th. What is going on? How you doing? Welcome, friends and family. Nice to have you back for another week. Before I get any further into the podcast, I'm just going to take a second to remind everyone, could you please do me a favor and go on iTunes and give my podcast a rating? I'd really appreciate it. Uh, if you have uh, even more free time, you could also write a review. It really doesn't matter what you write. Write something. And you know what? When you're reviewing, it doesn't have to be five stars. Just uh, give an honest review. Let me know what you think. Appreciate that. Also, uh, don't forget, you can always reach out either on social media at jmartfit at Twitter and Instagram. And then also you can email me. And the email is newsletter at jmartfit.com. Oh, yeah. And recently I got Telegram. So you can always hit me up on Telegram too at jmartfit on there as well. So what's going on? How's your week? What'd you get up to? I had a good one, but a little shaky too. Wednesday I went to jujitsu and it was a pretty good class. I learned this uh, knee shield technique from when I'm on my back. So that's useful. I want to get more comfortable with being on my back and kind of knowing what to do. So um, yeah, I was just basically trying to get the knee up and against the opponent's chest as much as you can as a way of controlling them. Uh, seems like a very useful thing to do. And, you know, when you, it feel, it's easy to do when you're practicing the drills, but then, of course, when you're applying it, it's a lot harder. This is, this one was still very good. Like it's, a, it's good defensively. You can also use it for offense. It's harder to apply for offense, but defensively, it was a pretty solid uh, way of like uh, just, you know, holding the opponent at bay. So definitely, fun learning this stuff and uh, thinking about how I'm going to be applying it as I move forward. But anyway, at the end of the class, we do this rolling with each other where we're just kind of like going more competitive and trying out what we've learned throughout the class. And I'm pretty sure I injured myself from rolling at the end of the class. I didn't even feel it at the time because it must have been just like a split second thing that, uh, you know, must have just hurt for a second and then didn't hurt anymore but I definitely had like some pretty good inflammation on my right elbow for the next couple of days Uh, I still feel it today but it's not nearly as bad as it was the first uh, day after so I did a couple of things to try to help with the healing process I was always just trying to pay attention to the sensation and never really pushing the pain to a max level like I always kind of like was playing with the border and kind of you know, going to like an intensity of maybe five, six, but never really much higher than that. And just, just kind of trying to find where the borders are, what my capacity was. I was doing a lot of elbow circles where I'm flexing and extending the elbow while also rotating the palm up and down. So supinating and pronating. And then you can kind of just do that in two different directions. Oh man, when I was extending the elbow and rotating the palm down, it was, uh, that's when I felt the maximum amount of pain. So I was just playing with how much I can squeeze my muscles in that position while keeping the pain levels at around like a five or a six and not much more. You know, maybe sometimes I got into a seven or eight, but I knew immediately to let go and kind of reset back down. I did that a bunch and then some loading of the elbow as well. So I did some planks and some push-ups 
and also a little bit of loading from a hanging position as well. That was the one that actually, uh, again, was I was feeling the most sensation in the elbow from loading it with my body weight as I started to hang. I kind of started with just like one leg lifting and the other leg uh, maintaining a bunch of weight still as I slowly kind of uh, start to feel my weight in my hands and arms uh, from the hang. And I could already tell with just a little bit of that extra loading my elbow was like telling me, oh, you better watch out, better watch out. (laughs) You know, that feeling, right? And so uh, I kind of just stayed in that and kind of let the uh, sensation dull and kind of made sure that I was uh, certain that I could handle more load and eventually went up to a full hang and uh, only lasted like, I think, 10 seconds after which I wanted to stop because, again, it was just like the, the pain was going up past seven and I didn't want that so just kept doing a bunch of short sets and uh, I think I just continued to do more of those elbow circles throughout the uh, day at random times whenever I remembered and then it's been feeling pretty good now when I extend my elbow like I could still feel it but not nearly as bad so I think I didn't end up going to another second class so I'm hoping that this will be well enough for tomorrow Maybe I'll just go to class and take it easy and not roll because, you know, it's really important to keep these drills going. Otherwise, the brain needs the stimulation. And so if it doesn't get it, I kind of start falling back, I feel like. So I need to keep it going if I want to make this like this lifelong pursuit and something that I want to strive towards for the foreseeable future. I was just thinking about this and like how there's just so many things that I'm like pulling myself towards that like have these goddamn super long-term <laughs> goals where I have to, you know, there's no instant gratification with, it, with anything like major happening anytime soon. <laughs> like, you know, it's going to be years and years and years before I can get to a black belt well, we'll forget a black belt. Even to a blue belt, it'll be at least multiple years. Yeah, and that's like the next one after white, right? It goes white, blue, um, purple, brown, black, I think. Pretty sure. But yeah, so jujitsu is one of those long-term goals that I'm pursuing. And that's like, you know, it takes a lot of effort and time and tension and focus. And then on top of that, I'm also like, you know, pulled in so many other directions that take an equal amount of <laughs> time, focus, and patience, and devotion. Like, freak. <laughs> like, I got my family, obviously. I've got a wife and a son and a girl on the way in five weeks. So that's a whole lifetime of devotion and commitment and focus and attention. <laughs> I guess I was exaggerating before about saying there's no instant gratification. I mean, I'm not saying that there's instant gratification with family, but a lot of times there is. You can just like, if you're bored, you can go find somebody in your family and bug them and they have no choice but to pay attention to you. (laughs) There's a lot of that, (laughs) which is great. Yeah, family's great, but it's a lifetime of attention and devotion, just like what's going to be needed for this Brazilian jiu-jitsu pursuit. And then on top of that, I'm doing this YouTube channel and podcast thing. <laughs> I don't know why, I, but I am. And if I want this to go any, anywhere, it's going to need <laughs> a lot of work, 
focus, attention, devotion. And then I'm doing this hunting thing now. But I got my license for firearms and I got my um, hunter's license, whatever that's, outdoors card, that's what it's called. I got that thing. And then that was two years ago. Last year, I went hunting for the first time with a, with a buddy for waterfowl. And last year was the first year I shot my uh, first goose, Canada goose. I went hunting on Friday. Yeah, Friday. And that's my second outing of the year. I think I mentioned my first one a few weeks back was unsuccessful. Didn't catch anything. Didn't even get a shot off. And then this time went a lot better. <laughs> Last time was a morning hunt in a duck pond. And this time was a, an afternoon hunt on a, on a field. So we were on this uh, cornfield that had just been harvested. And so it's a perfect place to set up in these, uh, we, what we had were these coffin blinds where you're kind of like in this like teeny little tent that you lie inside of when it's got like coffin doors that you open out of and you kind of sit up and you have your shotgun ready to take aim at which whatever bird uh, lands in front of you. So that's what we were doing. And I guess because it's newly harvested field, these birds like to land on them because there's lots of things for them to eat and munch on. And we had a bunch of decoys, like probably close to 100 uh, decoys that we had set up. And uh, we had a line of guys. I think we, there was a total of seven of us set up in a line. And so we were right in amidst all the decoys. And these guys are pretty good. And they have a very special way of setting it up where they can kind of almost guide the birds to kind of go right in front of us. And it was very effective. We had a bunch of, uh, well, at first, you know, it takes a while for the birds to get going because it was actually a really nice day. And it, it, when it's a really nice day, the birds don't like to move around as much, fly around as much. And so there's no need for them to, you know, get moving because it's so nice. It's when the weather's bad when they start flying, right? So as the the day got on and the sun was starting to set. There was a lot more activity because the temperature was de lowering, was going down. And so that's when the activity started, like later in the afternoon. We were set up by four and kind of just hanging out, talking for another half hour before we started getting serious about getting into the blinds. And we still didn't really see much activity for the next hour. It was around probably around 5.30 that we start to see like uh, some flocks of ducks flying around so three of my buddies have duck calls and they're pretty good at using them too so like they were calling them in and these ducks were coming and landing like really close right like right in front of us like our our first shot we had like two ducks come and land like uh not directly in front of us to our right and both of them were, we got right off the bat so that was like a perfect start and then took another half an hour for like more flocks to come but once they started coming they started coming in numbers and waves after waves and it was like really good i'm pretty sure i got one duck one male duck with like those green heads mal i think they're called mallards and i definitely got one goose the goose i was pretty sure i got and then i was gonna take a second shot but then i was like oh wait it's going down it's gonna hit ground and then it just like did not try to get a soft landing at all it just crashed head first into into the ground because uh, i thought it was like it was going at like a not a very steep angle it just like i shot it and it was going like 
maybe like two degrees lower and then slowly <laughs> that's why i was gonna hit it with a second shot but it was like wait no it's going down and then it just like crash landed head first it was kind of weird to watch actually but yeah it was a pretty successful hunt and it was very exciting at times really i felt myself like i noticed my heart beat was like racing and i was just like had sweaty palms and it's really amazing that i get to do this and i'm just so thankful for every part of it like i'm thankful for the ability to just be able to do it myself for having the friends who can kind of show me and guide me in it um for, for the birds themselves of course so thankful for that it's yeah it's an amazing thing to be able to do this and be able to source my food in such a way that i like literally harvested out of the sky myself it's kind of cool so yeah that was probably the coolest part of the week for me <laughs> i having getting to do that and, and getting a bunch of meat and my buddies were very gracious they um you know didn't because they get to do it way more often than i do they gave me a bunch of their share of the meat which was awesome of them and i'm very thankful for that it's funny that I also got to keep all the organs from all the birds because I'm the only one who likes eating organs. So I've got a bunch of duck and goose breasts and a whole bunch of uh, hearts and livers in my freezer ready to be eaten. So yeah, hunting. And I'm still very much a noob. You know, I can barely aim and hit a target. Seem to be doing it okay, but you know, I think my shooting accuracy is pretty low still. And, uh, you know, I need to practice, practice, practice. And like with the other things already mentioned on the podcast, put in, put in a lot of devotion, time, attention, focus into this thing to get better. Because like, you know, I, I do sometimes have dreams of like doing some crazy big hunts, like going moose hunting, deer hunting, um, stuff like that interests me and I want to pursue it. And it's just like this grand goal and other direction in addition to all these other things that I want to do that I'm really drawn towards. It's like, God damn it. What is wrong with me? So yeah, that's what I've been thinking about this week. Let's see what else happened this week. I went to a party with my wife. It's a party with her colleagues, with her doctor colleagues, medical doctors, physicians. And here's a quick background story. These are emergency medicine doctors, and every year there's a licensing exam that happens where new graduates of the emergency medicine residency stream write this exam to be fully licensed practitioners. So the party was a get-together for all the people who wrote the exam and also some other doctors who helped them practice for the licensing exam. That's why my wife was there, and then that's why I was there. I was her plus one. I'm always a plus one at these doctor parties, and I try to find other plus ones to hang out with because we're on the same level, and oftentimes we're not interested in the medical speak that happens at these parties. So if I'm with a normie, as I like to call them, we can have a good normal time and really enjoy each other's company. So this was actually a pretty dope party. The dude who was hosting was one of the people who wrote the exam, and he was actually not a new graduate of emergency med residency. He was actually an already licensed emergency medicine doctor, but he decided to write the uh, exam again because it had been over 20 years since he'd done it the first time, and he just wanted to prove to himself that he could still pass it, which I think is pretty cool 
I think it's setting an excellent example for younger doctors to not get complacent so you can actually do what you set out to do to help people and save lives rather than miss something obvious and provide bad health care. So the dude was very cool. He was an amazing host in terms of like food, what kind of food he provided. Uh, We had Wagyu beef that he like had this like hand torch that he was like just barely, you know, flaming it with for like a few seconds and then serving it to people. So that was kind of crazy. I don't even know what Wagyu beef is. Let me do a quick search here. What is Wagyu beef? What are wag? Is that how you pronounce it? W a g y u, wagyu. Wagyu, a Japanese beef cattle breed derived from native Asian cattle. Wagyu refers to all Japanese beef cattle, where wa means Japanese and gyu means cow. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so we had wagyu beef that he like hand torched for like a few seconds. That was amazing. And then he also had sushi-grade tuna and salmon that he, like, uh, grilled, like, as a medium rare. Like, the inside was completely rare still, just, like, lightly grilled on the outside. That was freaking amazing. And there was some scallops as well, so a lot of good seafood. And then that was actually perfect because it fell right into my animal-based diet thing that I'm doing. So that worked out pretty, pretty nicely. (laughs) And then this other guy that had uh, also written the exam, he came to the party and he brought a bunch of food. And this guy's hilarious, Persian dude. And like, he brought the two most like difficult foods for like a party ever. First, he brought like really hot chicken. That was like, when I had some, my skin went completely red immediately. (laughs) It took a good five minutes before, like, I was starting to feel somewhat normal from how hot the the chicken was (laughs) when I tried it. And he was, like, trying to make everyone eat a little bit. It was kind of hilarious. So that was one of the foods that he brought. And then the second thing he brought was crab. And it was, like, this uh, king crab, I I guess, in like a hard shell that was like difficult to like eat because like you're at a party and you have to like really sit down and break these shells and spend a lot of time <laughs> you know uh, taking this thing apart to eat like little bits of crab it was actually amazing it tasted so good it was soft and juicy and just perfect in every way but just not a good party food and so he brought hot chicken and crab that it was difficult to eat at a party, but it was still, it was just hilarious. We were laughing about it and kind of making jokes about it. So it worked out. So back to the story that I wanted to tell, actually, like I said, I like to hang out with the plus ones because we're usually on the same level. We can have some good conversations outside of medicine and it works out well for everyone. And so the girlfriend of this Persian guy was the plus one that I went and spoke with because she seemed pretty cool and people were talking to her and say, saying oh you look you work at a cool workplace uh i heard you work at a very cool workplace that's what i kind of overheard so i was like oh that's amazing oh where do you work and she's like what i heard was i'm into baking and as soon as she said that i lit up i'm like really that's amazing i love baking i bake sourdough at least once or twice a week and before I could say anything more, she's like, oh, no, banking. 
Oh, that was hilarious. I felt so crushed. I was so excited to talk about baking. And then she said that she works at a bank. And I'm like, what the hell? People were saying that you work at a cool workplace. How is a bank a cool workplace? (laughs) I didn't say that out loud, but that's what I thought. (laughs) Anyway, so she goes on to talk about how she's doing some stuff about uh, making infrastructure for Forex or something, some Forex service that the bank provides. And so this is not interesting to me whatsoever. But the fact that she's in banking, I'm like, well, let me ask a couple questions because I'm really into Bitcoin now. And Bitcoin is a bank in cyberspace and it kind of makes traditional banks a little bit obsolete. So just wanted to poke her a little bit in that and kind of find out what she thinks about it. So I was like, so let me ask you a question. Uh, what What do you think about cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin specifically? And her response was, her first thing she says immediately is, I don't like that it's not regulated. (laughs) And she, so the first thing she says is, I don't like, and then it's not regulated, but she didn't say what aspect of it is not regulated because there's definitely parts of it that are regulated, right? Like there's a capital's gains tax on it. That part's regulated. So right away, it's like a very knee-jerk response. And to me, that signals that she probably doesn't know what Bitcoin is which is fine. Of course, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's just funny that something that you don't know about your knee-jerk reaction is to be like, well, I don't like that it's not regulated. (laughs) But yeah, so we continue the conversation a little bit more just talking about banks. And I'm prodding her with a bunch of more questions. And eventually, she starts saying things like she believes that central banks are morally good. And they did the right thing by printing so much money like due to the pandemic to quote unquote support people during this difficult time and she was saying things like we would have been in a much worse situation had they not done that she didn't think that this endless printing of money by the central banks was adding to the inflation that we're seeing around us with things like groceries and assets things like that right to her the inflation was happening mainly due to supply chain issues And that was the only explanation behind it. So normally when somebody says something that is very opposite of what I believe in, I used to kind of just think that it was not, there's no point in trying to engage that person and, and try to have a conversation. But recently I've been thinking that maybe that's not the right approach and Maybe it's good to just voice what I think and see if I can have a a convincing argument sway my thinking in one way or another. So this girl seemed nice, so I decided to kind of push back and see what she'd say. But So what I said was that I thought that central banks were actually doing the wrong thing, and I disagreed with her uh, analysis that they were morally good and helping people who are most vulnerable. In fact, what they were doing was hurting them most because... Because with endless printing of money, that's the main driver of inflation, not supply chain issues. I try to use a <laughs> an example that she could relate to. Like I noticed that she was wearing some nice jewelry. So I was like, think about this. If you have this beautifully designed golden ring with beautiful diamonds all over it that was designed by some world-renowned famous jewelry designer... It would have a lot of value, right, if it was just one. But if you were to make many, many copies of that, 
the value of that one would decrease, wouldn't, would it not? Does that not make sense? Isn't that just basic? Isn't that what we're talking about when we have a certain amount of dollars circulating and that number is increased significantly? The value of that individual dollar is no longer as value as it was before. It has less purchasing power. I was trying to explain that to her and I was saying that because of that, we have lots of inflation. We have lots of consumer price inflation that's been up, you know, what is it, 5% in Canada, which is crazy. And we have asset price inflation. That's also skyrocketing, like the S&P skyrocketing, like house pricing is skyrocketing. And this is affecting people in such a way that the poorest people are infected by this consumer price inflation because a large proportion of their paycheck goes goes towards paying for those things. And then they also can no longer afford those assets because their prices are so appreciating so rapidly, they just simply can't afford them, right? They're just paying for all these consumer goods and they can't, can't they don't have enough money saved to, to, to buy assets. Meanwhile, it's the opposite way for the richest people who consumer goods are a very small portion of what their budget is. And the richest people are also asset owners, so they're becoming richer. So all this money printing is having the exact opposite effect of helping people who like it's purported to be helping. But I did I definitely didn't get through to her. She kind of just laughed at me. <laughs> but she was like, at least you have an opinion. <laughs> She was a lot nicer than that. This is my side of the story. But uh, yeah, I was like, not the most pleasant of conversations. So I I did get a little bit snarky and start like asking her, it's like, well, do you know about the history of central banks? You work for a bank, you should know that. And I, I, I kind of felt bad and pretty, pretty soon after. So I, I did apologize for kind of like uh, making a snarky comment like that. But uh, anyways, it wasn't awkward afterwards. We ended up having a good conversation later on more about like health and fitness, which was a little bit better <laughs> than this one. But that was, that was a hilarious conversation um, because I just got laughed at for making up what I thought was a solid argument. But oh well. <laughs> Anyways, speaking of Bitcoin, let's do a quick little update. We are on block height 708728. And we just had a huge pump in price in the last couple of hours. Let's see. Bitcoin, one Bitcoin is trading at $65,073. That is 1,537 sats per US dollar. Looks like we're looking ready to overtake the all-time high again and get past it for a new all-time high. But as always, that price doesn't matter. What matters is what makes Bitcoin special. And what makes it special is that nobody else controls it but you. You are the owner of your money. You don't need to trust the bank to hold it for you. You do that. And how is it that you can do that? Well, one of the ways, one of the important components of Bitcoin is this proof of work consensus algorithm or mechanism. And it's really hard to explain, <laughs> but I'm going to do my best. And I can't say that I fully understand it myself, but here goes. So it's this way for members of a network to reach consensus. So what kind of 
consensus do we need to get to? Well, it's just basically the consensus we need to get to is who owns how much, right? Like how much money do you have? How much money do I have? And we need to agree on that, right? So if we're on the Bitcoin network, then we need to agree how much Bitcoin each participant of the network or each node of the network has. So this consensus mechanism requires that members of a network spend effort by solving an arbitrary math puzzle, and then that prevents anybody from gaming the system. This math puzzle is like this thing called a hash function, and a hash is this long string of numbers that serves as proof of work. So this hash is very difficult, or you could say costly or time-consuming to produce, but it's easy for others to use it and verify the information contained within it which would be like the transactions that are happening. And like I said, how much, who owns how much Bitcoin, let's say. So in Bitcoin, proof of work is used for mining new Bitcoin and for validating the transactions. And because of this, transactions can be processed peer to peer from one person to another in a really secure way without needing a trusted third party like a bank. Now, because more and more people are joining the network and adding more processing power towards proof of work. So there's more and more energy required to quote-unquote mine new Bitcoin into the network. And this is what makes Bitcoin so special is that you actually need work to produce it, right? We all understand the concept of how you need go to work to earn money. Money just doesn't appear out of nowhere. It, you need to produce something for money right? So that's the case with Bitcoin. That is not the case with fiat money. There's nothing actually backing fiat money, money that is printed by the government, except for the reputation of that government. Anyway, I'm going to end it there. Thank you for listening this far. I hope you've found this useful and helpful. Like, I, like always, reach out and shoot me a message through any means, either Twitter, Instagram, Telegram, whatever. Send me an email at jmartfit or newsletter at jmartfit.com. Keep active, stay grateful. Peace. Jmart out.